We are going to be in the book of Genesis, and that's a, a nice, easy book to find there in the Bible, even if you're not familiar with it. It's the first one, so get past the table of contents there, maybe the table of weights and measures you have in your Bible, and then you'll find Genesis uh, right after the title page. Let me ask you this question as we get going. Have you ever had this experience, I've had this experience, where you are confident that something's going to happen? You're sure of it. You know that something's going to happen. It's been planned. It's going to take place. But then something that you don't expect to happen happens. And all of a sudden, that thing that you were so confident about uh, become, begins to become very shaky. You ever had that happen? You're sure of something. You know it's going to happen. You're, you're ready for it to happen. And then some unexpected event comes in. And all of a sudden, that thing that you were so confident about, that thing that you expected, what is unexpected really begins to rattle and shake what you expected. I don't know about you. I have this, I have this experience numerous times uh, over the past couple of years because it happens uh, very often when I enter a Zoom call. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience. But I'll have this experience where, I don't know, over the last couple of years, I've probably had somewhere between 2,000 and 10,000 Zoom calls. Maybe some of you know what that's like. And, 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 and on my calendar, I'll have the call. I know it's at 10 o'clock. Someone sent me a calendar invite. I'm sure that's the time. And so what happens is I click the link, my camera opens up, and I'm sitting there. And I look at the clock in the corner of my computer, 9.59. Great. I expect that at 10 o'clock, someone else is showing up to this call. And then I look at that little clock in the corner of my computer, and it's 10 o'clock. And I start to get a little nervous, wondering if I have, if anyone else is going to show up. And then that clock clicks to 10.01. And all of a sudden, everything I knew and believed about this Zoom call is all in question. I'm checking my calendar, wondering if I have the right date, if I have the right time. I'm wondering if I clicked on the right link. All of a sudden, all these things that I was sure about uh, are all up in the air. And I kind of wondered if I was the only one that, that dealt with this. If I was the only one that got nervous about this at a Zoom call. And the other day I saw someone post this online. I love this sign. And I realized I'm not the only one that gets nervous. It's a guy holding a sign, if you can't see it, that says, don't text me. Are you joining 30 seconds into a call? Which I love. <laughs> Some of you have gotten that text before. But why do you get that text? Because the person that's already on the call, all of a sudden, all their assurances that this is definitely happening, everything's called into question. And it happens on Zoom calls, but it happens in much more important things too, doesn't it? Like you're sure this is the relationship. You expect it's going to last a lifetime and then something unexpected happens and causes you to question everything. You're sure that you have uh, four or five decades of, of life ahead of you and then something unexpected happens and you begin to question everything. When we started this new sermon series last week, we started talking about Abraham. And I love that song that we sang just a moment ago where it started out, you're the God of Abraham, faithful to the covenant. That's exactly what we're talking about here throughout these next few weeks is Abraham. And the reason we're talking about Abraham is because the Bible will tell us over and over again, Old Testament and New Testament, if you want to know what faith in God looks like, then you need to look at the person of Abraham. And so that's exactly what we're doing. Trying to figure out what is the origin story of our faith? What does faith in God practically look like in our lives? 
lives. And last week we looked at Genesis chapter 12, where God meets Abraham for the very first time. And he gives Abraham, who at this point in his life is known as Abram. We'll get to that story down the road. But Abram, a promise. And it's right there in the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. This is what God said. Now the Lord said to Abram, we read this last week, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And here's the big promise. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we talked about how, what a big deal it would have been for Abram to leave everything that he knew growing up. In fact, he's 75 years old at this point. And so God's saying, leave everything you know, Abram, take everything you own and go. Go where? I'll tell you later. I'll tell you later where we're going, but just start moving. I'll tell you when we get there. In the beginning of verse four, we said last week is this defining moment in Abram's life. So Abram went. And we talked last week about all the times that God calls us to move before we fully know what everything's going to look like. And that question of what does our story say? Does it say, so Brian stayed? Or does it say, so Brian went? And we said last week that, that faith knows before it goes. Faith, I'm sorry, faith goes before it knows. That when God says to go, we start moving, even though we don't fully know what it's going to look like. And so we have this great moment in Abram's life where God gives him this amazing promise that everyone is going to be blessed through him, that anyone that blesses him gets blessed. And if anyone dishonors him, they are cursed. And so I don't know about you, but after that story is over, if I was, expect, if I was going through what I expect the Bible to say next, I expect the Bible after those first nine verses of chapter 12 of Genesis to say something like, and so Abraham and his family lived happily ever after. That's what I expect. I have a 10 year old daughter. I have a seven year old son. I have a three year old daughter. We watch a lot of Disney plus. And I got to tell you, that's exactly how it's supposed to end. That's how it all ends, right? But we read something different in verse 10 here. After this amazing promise, and not just an amazing promise, but an incredible display of faith, where Abram does exactly what God asks him to do. There's this phrase at the beginning of verse 10 that throws everything into question. It says, now there was a famine in the land. Put yourself in Abram's shoes for a moment. You go to your family and to your wife and say, hey, I know I'm 75. I know Sarah, his wife, you're, you're in your 60s. But I, I just feel like God wants us to pack up and move. Not sure where. We're just going to head west. It's like the Oregon Trail. We'll just head, we'll just head out and we'll just go and, and where it feels like God tells us to stop, we're just going to stop. And then they get there. And Abram says, this is it. And he worships the Lord. And the next thing that happens in this new land, after this great display of faith, is there is no food for anybody. 
You had that happen in your life? I know what that's like. I bet you do too. That God calls you to do something. God says, go and you go. God says, believe and you believe. God says, give and you give. And the first thing you experience after that is famine. You tell other people, hey, God asked me to do this and I did it. And people mock you. Or those test results come back. Or it's another month of not becoming pregnant. Or it's failing the class in the degree program that God told you to go after. Abram, I can just picture in his mind, so sure that he was where God wants him to be. And now there's famine. And all of a sudden, everything is in question. Did I hear him correctly? Did I go to the right place? Did he really tell me to stop here? So this is what he does. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, and this is where I feel like you begin to really see that Abram's off his game here when it comes to trusting the Lord. This whole experience is causing him to question things. I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but they will let you live. So say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. See, Abram has this plan. And you may say on the surface, well, this sounds crazy, but I think that there's a little bit of logic to Abram's plan here. If he comes into Egypt and says, this is my wife and someone, and he is the visitor, he is the foreigner now in this context. And you have to think, this is thousands and thousands of years ago. There aren't a lot of laws on the books. Abram's worried that someone will kill him and take his wife. And so he says, say you're my sister because in the time if someone then wanted to marry Sarah or Sarai at this point, they would have to begin to negotiate with Sarai's family. And the only family around was Abram. And that negotiating process would take months, even years. And so I think kind of reading between the lines in Abram's mind, there might have been this thought that, hey, if we go in and we say she's my sister and someone wants to marry her, we'll have to start this negotiating process. I'll drag the negotiating process out. Then we will leave when the famine's over before that process ever finishes and we'll be gone and Sarai will still be with me. But here's the problem with the plan. We read in the text that when Abram left his home and went to the new land, he did it because God told him to. There's not anything in the text here about this plan where God is involved at all. Not yet. You see, Abram in his calculations, he forgot something. There was someone in Egypt that if they wanted something, didn't negotiate. And here's what happens. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh, 
Pharaoh, forgot about Pharaoh, saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Here's Abram's problem. Didn't pray about it. Didn't seek the Lord on this. I, I, as I read the text, this is how I interpret this text. Comes up with the plan. Thinks that if someone wants to marry Sarai, it will take months, even years to get that deal done and he can escape before it's over. But he forgot that there's a leader in the land who negotiates with no one. And Pharaoh hears about Sarai, wants her as his wife, thinks that she's Abram's sister and just says to his people, go and pay the man. And you may wonder why there's that list of, of different things that Pharaoh gives Abram. Basically, the text is saying, based on Pharaoh's knowledge, he deals with Abram very, very well. The list of things that he gives Abram, it just gets increasing in value. There's male donkeys and then there's female donkeys. The female donkeys were much more prized. They were, they were useful tools. And then there were, there were camels that he was given. So as you read the list, you can kind of go up and you can say, okay, he gave, he gave Abram male donkeys. You could just insert, like he gave Abram Nissan Altimas. And then he gave Abram like Lexus SUVs. And then when it gets to camels, basically what the text is saying, he gave Abram a bunch of Ferraris. That's how the text is progressing. And so based on Pharaoh's knowledge, he's dealing with Abram very well. But now Abram, because of his fear and his failure. Have you had that happen? God gives you the promise. There's the famine. You start to question. It leads to fear. Which leads to us trying to fix it on our own and our own failure. And that's exactly where I think Abram is at this moment. And in the next verse, we read such an important phrase, a phrase that all of us need in our lives when we get to this point and a phrase that's true for Abram in this moment and is true for you and me. But the Lord. See, now God gets involved. Abram's put himself in quite a position here, put his wife in quite a position but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Pharaoh realizes what's happening here because God steps in and afflicts him with plagues and he gives Abram his wife back. But did you check the end of the text there? He also let Abraham keep all the gifts. He said, take everything that I've given you and just go. And so it's an amazing moment here because in spite of the famine, despite of Abram's fear, despite of his failures, God blesses him even as he's going home. But he gets home and there's a problem. That old 
phrase, more money, more problems, rings true here for Abram when he gets home. Because it's not just him. It's also his family. And he still has his nephew Lot with him. Does anyone remember Lot? We talked about him last time. When Abram leaves his home, he loves his nephew. And he brings Lot with him as they go back home from Egypt. And they end up with a big problem. Because Abram's wealthy. And Lot is wealthy. And the land cannot sustain Abram's flocks and Lot's flocks. And the text, if you read the text in chapter 13, I'm going to jump a few verses here, but if you read the text in the beginning of chapter 13, it says that there was great strife between the people that were part of Abram's crew and Lot's crew. So there's now tension in the land between Abram and his family. And Abram doesn't want this. He doesn't want the tension. So in verse eight, look at what happens now. He's already dealt with famine. He's dealt with his own fear. He's dealt with his own failure. And God's bailed him out of that. And now look what happens here. And stick with me here. Because I really believe, I really believe that someone sitting in this room, someone, someone that's watching online needs to hear what Abram learns. In verse eight, then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So just, you, you with me here? Abram says, choose Lot. And Lot looks up and he sees that some of the land is decent, some of the land is unbelievable. And he looks back at his uncle, who by the way could have left him by himself, back home before he moved, by the way, could have left him and not taken him to Egypt to survive the famine and provide for him everything that he has. And he acts just like a nephew. <laughs> In verse 11, so Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now then the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. More of that later in the story. I mean, Abram gets this promise from God. And I would expect that if God gives someone a promise, I would expect if God gives you a promise, I would expect if God gives me a promise, that the next words we read, this is what I would love to have from the Lord sometimes, that the next words we read would be, and so Abram and Sarai and their family lived happily ever after. But that's not what we read at all. We read, so there was famine in the land. And then Abraham got fearful. And Abraham failed and messed some things up. And then God bailed him out and brought him home. And then once he was home, his family member kind of stabbed him in, a, in the back a little bit and took the best thing. Have you ever had someone do that to you after God told you something would happen? Someone near you outside of your control, do something to try and mess it all up. 
And so here's Abram. His nephews left him. My guess is the conversation between him and his wife is interesting right now. He's got to deal with the decisions he made in Egypt. And he's questioning everything. After he's through all of that, which by the way, that whole process had to take, this is not days, this is months, if not years of time. From the time that God gives the original uh, promise to this moment. And in verse 14, listen to what God says. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring will also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. I love those verses. And I love where they come at the text, in the text. Because after everything that Abram has been through, the struggle that he went through with the famine and providing for his family, the struggle that he went through going down to Egypt and making what I think is a terrible decision with his wife and how he was going to handle all of that and being fearful and God having to bail him out of that after his nephew who he has loved and cared for betrays him and takes the best of the land and leaves Abram behind. God comes back to Abram and he says to him, Abram, do you remember the promise that I gave to you? Do you know what has happened to that promise between then and now as you've traveled down to Egypt and traveled back, as you've dealt with your marriage situation and come back, as you're dealing with your nephew situation? Abram, do you know what's happened to the promise? Nothing. It's still good, Abram. Just like I told you. Look, arise and look. Walk the land, Abram. I told you I was going to give this to you. I'm still giving it to you. I told you that your offspring would be, would be countless. They will still be countless. Listen, just come back with me for a moment. If you've, if you've trailed off, I know it's a long story. If you're folding laundry at home, just, just hang out with us for a minute. Because I really felt like as I was preparing this sermon that someone needed to hear this today. And I don't know if you're sitting in the room. I don't know if you're watching online. I don't know if you're going to watch the video online two weeks from now. But someone needs to hear this. God has given you a promise. And things have happened in your life. 
famine has come. You got scared. You made some dumb decisions. People around you that you counted on and people around you that you thought were with you have shown you over the past couple of years that they're not as much with you as you thought they were. And this morning, God is saying to you, arise, look at the land, walk around. What other people have done, by my grace and mercy, what you have done, the things that have happened that are outside of your control, have in no way changed the promise. Faith goes before it fully knows, but faith also trusts trusts that God's promises do not change even when life does. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back to the stage as we begin to close this morning. And as they come... Our, worship, our, our ushers are going to pass out uh, two things, two things that I'd like for you to take a look at. One is they're going to pass out to you a card. And that card has two questions on it. And no matter who you are in the room this morning, whether you call yourself a Christian, whether you don't, you're not really sure that you're a Christian this morning, I'd still like for you to take that card and at least consider the questions. And there should be pens in the chairs in front of you that you can grab one of those pens and you can start to fill out the card. The other thing that they're going to pass down is they're going to pass down the baskets that have these communion cups with them. If you do not feel comfortable taking communion with us, you do not have to. But if you count yourself a follower of Jesus Christ... Uh, Even if Mount Hope is not your home church, you are more than welcome to partake in communion with us this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And then our worship team is going to play. And as they play, I'd like for you just to sit for a moment and consider the questions that are in front of you. The questions are something like this. What are the things that are happening in your life right now? The unexpected things that cause you to question the promises of God in your life. And then the second question is something like this. What is the promise of God that you're holding on to this morning? Listen, I know exactly what it's like to feel like you've heard God's voice and you're following his will and then have all these things that happen, some of them in our control, our own failings, some of them outside of our control, the ways the people around us betray us and and mess up, the way famine comes and COVID comes and unrest comes. And all of it causes us to question what God has said. Let me remind you this morning that God's promises are sure. And after you consider those questions on your own, you can partake of communion at your chair. So normally we do communion together. This is in your own time, on your own as you reflect. And as you take communion, let me remind you that this communion cup, the bread and the juice, represent a promise in Jesus Christ 
that I don't care what happens in this world. This does not go away. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's love for you, the forgiveness of sin, eternal hope and reconciliation does not change. So as you're reflecting and the worship team's playing, when you feel like it's time, you can go ahead and take communion on your own. God, we come before you this morning thanking you, Lord, that you are faithful when we are not and that your promises never change. And it doesn't matter if if a natural disaster happens. It doesn't matter if something big happens outside of our control. It doesn't matter if we make mistakes and our own failings. It doesn't matter if we go back to the addiction. It doesn't matter if we go back to the bad decision. As long as we are with you and repentant and ask for your forgiveness and grace, you are there to offer it. God, thank you that when even those around us make hurtful decisions, your promise doesn't change. So Lord, we lean on you today. As you consider the promises of God, let me remind you that your salvation in Jesus Christ is sure if you trust him and follow him. Jesus said, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand or out of the father's hand. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Paul says this, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. God is with you. Joshua said to the people, this is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you when, wherever you go. And God is faithful, the writers of Hebrew tells us. He says to let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And the prophet Isaiah reminds us that God promises to strengthen and help us. God says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And James reminds us that if we need it, God will give you wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, James writes, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. These promises and so many more are in God's word. What promise are you holding on to today? What promise do you need to be reminded of today? That despite an unexpected changing world, God's promises do not change. Thank you, Lord.